Um, We are today going to be in that text that Marie read for us, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. It's a lot of verses I made her read. She did great though, didn't she? Give Marie a hand. She, she, She used her technology. I use the paper, but whatever you prefer around here. So you can tap your way to Luke chapter 12. You can flip your way. Before I start, um, I drove to Fargo Friday, came back on Saturday, yesterday, and so um, I'm kind of scatterbrained, and we had this, this big political churches. The one thing, I was 32 when I finally, I thought about it in college. I thought about going into ministry when I was in college, going to church ministry. Like, it took me 10 years, well, to God, 10 years to turn me, well, he can do what he pleases, but that's how long he chose to wait, right? Ten years to turn me around, and the main reason it took a decade was I don't want to get involved in church politics, right? And so once a year I have to go do a church political meeting. It's fine. They're nice people there, but I don't really enjoy those meetings at all. But, so I was a little scattered, but... um. So I need to pray. Let, 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 let's pray before we talk about this passage. Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, would you help me to uh, clearly hear the Spirit at work and, and to communicate what you would have us to all hear. Help me to um, see myself first as the, the primary person that needs to hear your call on us um, to, to turn, to, to repent, to, to turn away from, um, and to turn towards you, and help us to all be a community um, of, of people who recognize you see us like the white snow through the cross, and, and you use us in the world to bring beauty. Um, help us to live that out. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to be Luke chapter 12 again. I'm going to start reading. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to reference it. Marie's already read it. I'm not going to read through it, but there will be times. So you might want to have it open if it helps you um, to kind of look and make sure I'm not lying to you because I could. Uh, but again, let's, let's orient ourselves real quick. What's going on in Luke's story? Chapter 1, uh, or part 1, not chapter 1. See, I'm scattered today. Part one of Luke is, who is this? Who is this guy, this Jesus, that's calling us into this thing that he's doing, this kingdom mission that he keeps talking about, right? Uh, Part two, which is where we are, is when Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem, he knows where he's going, he's, you know, we put it like this, he's, he's in fifth gear now, and he's rolling, and he's sweeping people up into this mission, this thing that he's about, and he is about life. He's going to use that word life, and if you're paying attention, several times Marie used the word life. Last time we, we looked at him talking about the Good Samaritan, talking about eternal life, this word life. It's unfortunate that we only have one word for life because the Greeks had several words, um, and we use it. We use the word in, in different ways. Right? Like, we might, I have this thing that I say. I think I picked it up from a friend of mine in college. Sometimes people ask me, so how are you doing? And I say, I'll, I'll say, I'm just trying to live my life. 
you guys probably heard me say that. Um, it, it, you know, we, we, what we mean is, man, I'm just trying to keep going. Dory, you know, Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? That's all I want right now. In our house, sometimes we talk about survival mode. We probably all know what that's like to go into survival mode. Something happens and it's a crisis or some kind of drama and all we can do is just keep breathing. If I can just keep oxygen filling my lungs and keep blood pumping through my veins, then I will have been successful in this period of time. I think we all know what that's like. The Greek word for that is bios. It's where we get our word biology. Biosphere, biodome, you know, bio, life. It's the function of life. You're very basic. Like, just keep swimming, bios. There is another word. That word bios does not appear in this text that Marie read for us. Another word does, and, and we use the same word, life, right? We'll say something like, I want to really live life. I want to fully live, right? We, uh, Thoreau, I think, is, is the first one to say, I want to suck the marrow out of life. We still say live, but it means something more. It's more than just mere survival. We're not talking about, I want my heart to keep beating right now. We're saying, I want to have purpose and meaning and hope and significance, and I want to, I want to feel deep down something, right? The word for that in Greek is zoe, real life, right? And then there's another word that actually, it shows up here in this text as life. It also, it's interesting because this is pretty um, representative. About half the time this word shows up in the New Testament, it's, it's life. And half the time it's soul. It's, it's a word that means something more like our essence, our self, who we are. The Greek word is suke. It's where we get our word psychology. This being that I am. And it is translated in our passage as both soul and life. This, this thing. And so here's, the, here's the, it, the issue that I think we'll find is that this thing that I am, my essence, my being, can live in bios, and many of us do. Many of us never experience Zoe. We, we live our entire life in the stage of just let me keep functioning until I stop. Or this, this, this suke, this self, this soul that I am can experience Zoe. And I believe that Jesus is saying here, I want you to experience real life. I want you to live. I want you to have purpose and I want you to have meaning. And I think every single one of us is crying out for that one reality. I think we want more than anything else to matter. We want to be important. We want to feel something. We want to, we want to really live. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. How can we really live? It's interesting because when this guy shows up, right? Verse 13, someone in the crowd says to him, Teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That's the problem that this guy comes with. Now, a couple of things. In this era, the man was treating Jesus like you would treat any rabbi, a traveling teacher, with some respect. People would go to these people. Jesus was one among many people who would travel around and teach. And, and, and people would go and, and say, would you settle this dispute because you're wise, right? That was sort of the, the idea. So this was a common thing that people would do. And he comes to Jesus with quite possibly, we don't know enough information, a real injustice, possibly. In, the, in this era, um, the older brother would have probably received the bulk of the inheritance, maybe a little bit left for the younger siblings, um, brothers, frankly, um, would be the ones that received it, if anything. Sometimes it would be divided. There were, there were different rules and traditions and the way things were done. But quite possibly a very real injustice has been done. We don't know. This guy seems to think he's entitled to a portion of something that he didn't get. And he comes to Jesus looking for justice. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus doesn't actually address it. Jesus, I think, sees beneath the surface. I think the guy is coming to Jesus with this real question. I don't think he's really wanting justice. I think he wants to really live. And he believes that if he has more, then he can. That's not uncommon. We all do that. How many of us have seen, looked on Instagram at some of our friends and their vacations and thought, boy, if I had that, then I could really live. Jesus sees that, and he says, take care and be on your guard against all, the big word, Bible word, covetousness. It, it fascinates me that Bible translators have chosen that word here. Because it means exactly the same thing as greediness. I think covetousness, because we don't use it all the time, um, sounds a little more palatable to us, right? Greediness. Watch out for greediness. This guy has just asked Jesus to settle the dispute, and he says, you better watch out for greediness. I mean, that's a little harsh. It is at first. But he's saying your greediness can harm your potential to experience real life. It can do that for us. Wanting things that we don't have can actually harm the ability that we have to really live life. So we sit there and we worry about what we don't have instead of enjoying what we do. Right? This is not um, a popular teaching. There, are, there have been throughout, well, definitely the last few generations, um, popular speakers. I think of um, Norman Vincent Peale sold millions of books called The Power of Positive Thinking. If you believe it, you can achieve it. Um, the Secret, the movie came out about 10, 15 years ago. Same, same principle. Um, Joel Osteen teaches this. Uh, Donald Trump's personal pastor teaches this. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be polite. You need to know there are teachers out there who teach, Christian and otherwise, and sell millions of copies of books that 
whatever you want, you are entitled to, and it will bring you joy, and it will bring you pleasure, and our hearts already tell us that, and so we go and we buy books like Your Best Life Now that will tell you how you can experience that, and what is fascinating to me is that Jesus here is teaching the exact opposite. The exact opposite of that. He says, your zoe, your real life, is not about what you have. And so many of us eat up these things that tell us we can have the real life by going after these things. And Jesus is saying, stop it. That's not what it's about. Your real life is available, I think, either way. And that's important. It's important to point that out. Because I know fabulously wealthy people who live the real life. And I know fabulously wealthy people who don't even know what I'm talking about when I say it. And I know impoverished people who spend their whole life wanting more. (laughs) And I know impoverished people who experience the real life every day. It's irrelevant. Jesus isn't saying if you have a lot, you can't possibly experience real life. He's saying it doesn't matter. We don't really believe that, I don't think. Not fully. I think we wrestle with that. Greed. That's what he's talking about. Greed harms the life. He goes on. He tells, the, he tells this story about this, this rich man who uh, had this land. And he, he, Marie read this for us. And, and it, it produces all of this crops. And in the story, Jesus tells this man, says, My five times. My land. My crops. My barns. All about me. And then he says, I will say to my soul, my suke, myself, self, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Now you can really live. That's what he says. Eat, drink, be merry. He says, now you can have the real life that you want. But God said to him, fool, this night your suke, yourself, Your being is required of you. That didn't work out so well. That's not the way to the real life. Greed gets in the way. There's something else that Jesus talks about here that gets in the way. Verses 22 through 31, Marie read it to us. But it's interesting. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Yourself, your suke, that's the word he uses there. Don't be anxious about that, what you'll eat, about your body, what you put on. For yourself, your suke, is more than food, the body more than clothing. Um, anxiety. Anxiety harms our potential, our ability to live the real life that we want. Now, I want, I want to say this because I, I want us to cooperate with Jesus. 
I want us to hear what Jesus is saying, not what we might be inclined to think Jesus is saying. Because I know that many of us struggle with anxiety. Um, I'm, you're not alone. I mean, believe me, you are surrounded. If you don't, you're surrounded. Because there are people all around us that struggle with anxiety. And I know that when somebody says, don't be anxious, like Jesus just did, right? we feel anxious about our anxiousness. We feel shame, maybe, because we struggle with anxiety. Oh, no. And so we're inclined to think that this is Jesus saying, oh, stop it. It's not. We need to work with Jesus. We need to hear what Jesus is really saying to us. And Jesus, what he's really saying is, I want you to have real life. And I want to work with that, okay? And hear it the way it's supposed to be heard, the way I think he wants us to hear him. Because anxiety is real. But it might, it might serve as actually helpful. It might be a spotlight. Like, what do you, what, what, what sparks your anxiety? What sets it off? Me, my family will tell you I am, I, I catastrophize. That's the big word. If, if my wife says, you know, I'll be home at 4 o'clock, by 4.05, I am sure she's upside down in the ditch. Right? Absolutely sure. Um, I worry about, am I liked? I do. I suspect that probably started in those terrible years when probably many of our anxieties begin. Middle school, high school, where, by the way, if you're in that range, you should know that um, everybody is anxious. Nobody feels like they belong. The most popular kid in class uh, worries every day that they're not cool enough. It's just true. But you don't feel that, I know, because I was there. And it's in that era when all you can worry about is are you liked, that, that sometimes creates some anxieties that, that might stick with us because we just want to know that we're loved, want to know that we're accepted. That's normal. What sets off your anxiety? What, what are the things that you worry about? Those are the things that we place our hope in the things that we tend to find our security in. And, and, and let me be complete. As soon as I, as I was working on this sermon, I'm like, yeah, it's the things that we put our security in that we become anxious about. You know what I did? Immediately, I'm, I'm not kidding you, immediately I sat my notes down, I sat my Bible down, I opened up my laptop, and I logged in to check my retirement accounts. True story. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, stuff we hope in. That's what, because it's scary. I mean, things that happen in China could affect my retirement account. I have no control over that. I mean, I can switch some funds around, right? That's about it. I can't manage the Dow. I, you know, I, what, what are the things that we're placing our hope, our security in? Anxiety happens when we place our security in things that can be taken away. Things that can fall apart. 
things that just, because we know it's a scary world that we live in. We know things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And we worry, and I worry, and I get it. And I think that's what it is. I think to be human in many ways is to worry. It's fascinating because Jesus says this to people who were literally a sick day away from starvation. They really were. In this era, I mean, most people, if, if there was a tragedy, a fire, uh, uh, truly, if a breadwinner gets sick, a whole family could starve. They didn't have life insurance. They didn't have health insurance. They had every reason to worry. Now, I don't say that so that, you know, talking to the, what is probably the wealthiest uh, civilization that's existed on our planet... But I don't say that to be like, so how dare you? But to say, we always worry. It's just part of the human condition to live in this frail, fragile world and to not know. We don't know what tomorrow might bring. And that's scary. And Jesus is saying to us, that can show us where our treasure is. What sorts of things we're hoping in to provide us fulfillment because greed can rob us of the real life that we were built to live anxiety and if you struggle with it you know it robs us of the real life that we were created to live that we we should be able to live but we we, we're fragile and it's hard and so Jesus and I want you to hear this he he says it's, it's, it's beautiful what he says. He gives us, he tells us to love then what is valuable and love what can last. And he says, please hear this, fear not, little flock. See, we're inclined, I know because of maybe things we've heard, um, things we've been conditioned to believe, things that we already preach to ourselves. We're inclined to hear Jesus saying, stop being greedy. Don't be anxious. And he's so tender. Fear not, little flock, he says. He's so kind. He says, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. The treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches, no mouth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now he says this. this, this what is this? This treasure in heaven. Thought about that. I'm like, you know, I don't think that's just stuff we get. That's not like retirement 2.0. I think that's the way we think about it, right? Our, our retirement account is, you know, for that last, I don't know, 20, 30 years right after we decide we want to, you know, spend the rest of our life in Arizona or whatever, right? Um, that, that we've got that. But then, treasure in heaven, that's retirement 2.0. That's, that's after we've spent that account, right? I don't think so. I think treasure in heaven can start now. The things of heaven, love, peace, purpose, 
joy, meaning, all of those things are the treasure of heaven imported into our world. The kingdom of heaven breaking in and shattering all of our ways and giving us new ways. We can have that treasure now. That's what I think Jesus is getting at. I don't think he means one day treasure. I think he means value now the things of heaven. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell. <laughs> now that's a tricky one. Now as 21st century Americans, I know, because I'm looking for it. I've, I spent some time this week thinking about that and reading stuff and like, surely this is a metaphor, right? I'm not sure that it is. I'm not going to give us an escape hatch. Um, I think that's something we have to, I mean, obviously we've got to be responsible. I know that. Like sell everything. Yeah, well, then you'd be homeless. Your kids would be, right? I mean, that can't be it. I think, I think he, maybe, maybe he means, maybe, and he does, he does say that to people. There's a rich guy that comes to him. What else do you need to do? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I think it comes down to our heart. There are some of us here that maybe we need to sell everything we have. Huh? Do you struggle with greed? Does greed cripple you? Do you want more and more and more? Yeah, maybe, maybe you need to sell everything. That's what Jesus says. I think he means we need to unload the things that tie us down. What's tying you down from experiencing this? Because our treasure in this world can't last. And we know that. I think we all know that. We All of us know one of my favorite Latin phrases that I often echo back and forth with Shay is memento mori. Remember, you will die. We all know that. It's a reality of our life. And the question is, do we live in light of that? And again, I think we all know... <laughs> that this is temporary. I think we all know that love, joy, peace, purpose, meaning, hopefulness, significance, fulfillment mean more than cars and houses. We all know that. I really believe that. We all know that. But boy, do we struggle. Don't we? We struggle with anxiety. If only I had that that house, that car, that checking account, that wife, then I'd be fulfilled. <laughs> we struggle with that. If, if only I had this, or we struggle with anxiety about the stuff that we do have. I want what I don't have. I fear for what I do have. We still struggle, even though we know that. What do we need to do? I am... I'm convinced with every bit of who I am that the problem, the thing that we struggle with the most is that we don't actually believe. We don't, the two things that Jesus says in this one verse that we struggle, we don't really believe. First of all, we do not believe Jesus is really that tender. We really believe that when we blow it, when we don't play our role well, 
when we don't act our lines, when we miss the mark, (laughs) or when we struggle with anxiety. We really believe that Jesus is wagging his finger. How dare you? Don't you do that? There is a part of us that believes that. And it is because the world is not what it is supposed to be. It is because we are influenced by the the fall has just brought a a pall (laughs) over our souls. And it's infected us and we struggle. It's because when we were in school, somebody said something mean to us once. And it's just reverberated through our whole life that we are obviously not good enough. And so we don't believe that Jesus can really be this tender to us. He doesn't say, stop being anxious. He says, fear not, little flock. I only want for you to experience the real life that I made for you. He's so kind in all of our heartache and all of our mess-ups. He is so kind looking at us and seeing only the pureness of the snow and saying, I just want what is good for you. I love you. And I don't think we really believe this thing that he says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I know that word is complicated for some of us because our maybe we didn't have a Father who was what he ought to be. Maybe we had the greatest Father in the world. The fact is, Our father that Jesus refers to here is better than the best father in the room, whether it's your father, whether it's some, you, I don't know. You miss the mark. We all do. He doesn't. He gets it right. He loves us the way fathers are supposed to love their children, but none of us can because of the fall. He is the creator of all things. He's the one that paints the stars in the sky. He's the one that says, let it snow, and it does. And he owns everything there is. And he is your father. And he wants nothing more than to give you the kingdom. Love, peace, fulfillment, meaning, oh, little flock, he says. I just want to give you everything that I have. I only want for you to experience full life. So what do we do if we struggle with greed and with anxiety? I know everybody wants an application, right? We've got to have our points. Tell me the points. What do I have to, to do? Well, I think... We see this guy in this text that talks to himself. Soul, soul, now you can have, eat, eat, drink, be merry. Now you can have real life. He he speaks to his soul, to himself. And I, I think we probably all do that a little bit. And I think greed is soul. You'd be happy if you had that. And anxiety is soul. You'll be broken. You'll be crushed if that thing is taken from you. And maybe, I I think maybe, the thing to do is memorize that verse. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Maybe do, uh, there's there's the song that we sometimes sing that I really like. It has this line in it. Soul, think 
that Jesus died to win thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Just think. When we struggle with greed, I'd be happy if I had that. When we struggle with anxiety, oh, think that the Father in heaven is smiling on you. Think, oh, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Think these things. Say to yourself in the midst of that. And, I, and this is not a magic pill. You're not going to suddenly stop dealing with greed and anxiety tomorrow. I'm not. But I do believe that for some of us it might be a long struggle. I, I, I know this because the world is not right. Because we are fallen, we are broken. Things are just bent. That's frustrating, I know. But I do believe that over a long time of creating a habit of every time we struggle and we say, No, it is the Father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. And we remind ourselves of that. And we remind ourselves of that. And we remind ourselves of that. I think over a long time we'll begin to believe it. And I think over a long period of time we'll begin to see some of our greediness and some of our anxiety fade away as more and more of our treasure is put in the things of heaven. And more of our love is turned toward Christ. And that only happens because we see his love for us first. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will come together at the table and remember his love for us. Jesus, I struggle to believe that you are this tender, this kind. Um, I struggle because I, I think I want to be yelled at maybe sometimes. I don't know. I think we all tend to imagine you as a little more harsh than you are. Remind us today of your deep love, your, your tenderness, your compassion, your kindness, and, and meet us as we uh, come to this table and, and, and remind us that you are good and that you are God in heaven and that you own the cattle on a thousand hills and all you want for us more than anything else is to experience the real life that we were created for. It's in your name. Amen.